0: Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? And the light of the world hangs in darkness. The Father and the Son have been in communion, have been in fellowship, have been one. For all eternity past. And now, for the first time, the Son cannot sense the presence of the Father. The darkness that covers the world is, is the same darkness that covers the mind and the heart of the Son. It's a darkness that separates. Father and Son are no longer in communion. It's a strange scene. It's it's hard for us to understand how can God the Son say to God the Father, Why did you leave me? We understand some of the first words that Jesus said. The first thing he said was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We understand that. After all, that's why Jesus came, isn't it? He came to provide a means of forgiveness. We get that one. The next thing He said was, today you'll be with Me in paradise. We we understand that one. Jesus is the way to the Father. He is how we get to heaven. Surely He would say to the sinner, today you'll be with Me in paradise. That one makes sense to us. The third thing He said from the cross as He looked at His mother, His best friend, He said, behold your mother, behold your son. We're not surprised by that. Jesus, obedient all the way to the end, all the way to the the point of death, obeys the the commandment to honor father and mother. But even beyond that, He is a man of compassion. Understanding that His own mother, a widow, needed someone to care for her. We, We get His compassion. The first three words kind of make sense to us The fourth one, no one can understand. Martin Luther even said, God, forsaken of God. Who can understand that? This statement causes shock. It it, it confuses. It's painful for us to hear, and yet we must listen. I invite your attention to the text that I read just a moment ago. Matthew chapter 27, as we hear this fourth statement from the cross, the, the fourth word, if you will. He first speaks in Aramaic. Aramaic was the, the common tongue of, of His people during that day. He spoke the way that He spoke growing up. Matthew understanding that his audience might not fully understand Aramaic then translates it for us, my God, my God why hast thou forsaken me? That word forsaken, certainly one of the most tragic words in the whole English language, what it is to be forsaken is is a terrible experience. We know some of us have experienced it firsthand, others have just heard, and we, we care about those who have experienced it, but we understand to a degree what it is to be forsaken by a spouse. We understand what it is for a child to be forsaken by his parents. What an awful, terrible word that is. How then can the creation sense a a separation to the degree that all of creation shuts down and goes dark? Because there is forsakenness from the Creator. How does the Son of God cry out in anguish, Where are you? To his father, there, the word forsaken speaks to us on, on a powerful level. This, this statement, my God, my God why have you forsaken me teaches us some very important things that we cannot afford to miss. We cannot run too quickly to the empty tomb on Easter unless we have first journeyed across Calvary's hill. We cannot rush to hear the angel say, He is not here until we have first stopped to hear what the Savior said as He died for us. So this morning, I I invite you to pause again at the top of Calvary and hear Him speak understand the power of these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as we listen carefully, we first understand the seriousness of sin. I I think it is a part of our human nature. It is certainly the goal of the enemy for us to take sin too lightly. Do you have conversations with yourself something like this? Everybody sins. It's a part of fallen nature. It's just part of who we are. God forgives, so yeah, I sin, but man, I'll just ask forgiveness and we'll get it right and we'll we'll move on. It's just part of life. That apple looks so good. Yeah, God said not to eat that fruit, and I know it wasn't an apple. Play with me here for a minute. God said not to eat that fruit, but gosh, that looks so good. I could just have one, take care of it later. God will forgive me. We'll move on later. It's just one little sin. I think we take sin so lightly because it's a part of who we are now as a fallen, messed up creation, And it also is the plan of the enemy that we would take sin lightly. But when we face the cross and we hear the agony in Jesus' words, we are forced to recognize the seriousness of sin. No longer can we take it lightly when we see the one who's paying for it crying out in anguish, God, where are you? when we understand the the penalty that was paid, we can't take it for granted. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is... What is it? The wages of sin is... That's a pretty heavy price to pay. That means that this is serious stuff wages is what you earn right you've got a job you show up for your job they tell you to be there at 9 you're there at 855 they tell you you can leave at 5 you leave at 505 you show up for work you do your best the whole time after a couple of weeks you expect to get a paycheck why cuz you've earned it those are your wages the Bible says you've earned something. And you're going to get a paycheck. And what is that paycheck? The wages of sin is... We've all sinned fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we get a paycheck and the paycheck is death. It's got our name on it. But understand, when, when the Scripture says the wages of sin is death... It's not just talking about physical death. Sin is a spiritual issue. Therefore, there's a spiritual payday. He's talking about a spiritual death. And what is spiritual death? Well, what is physical death? Physical death is when the spirit leaves the body. Right? Physical death, when the spirit leaves the body. Spiritual death, when the spirit leaves the presence of God. Spiritual death is when we are outside of God's presence, separated from him. That is what hell is, by the way. Hell is that place where God is not and never will be. Heaven is being in the presence of Jesus Christ face to face. Hell is exactly the opposite. Completely and totally separated from every part of who God is. Spiritual death is, that, is experiencing that separation. When sin first entered the world, it caused separation. Adam and Eve hanging out in the garden. They eat that fruit. What's the next thing that happens after they eat that fruit? Eve look over at Adam she said, Boy, you're naked. Adam said, Girl, you naked too. What are we gonna do? We can't have a holy God come in and see us naked. What we gotta do? We gotta hide. God shows up that afternoon. He's walking through the forest, walking through the, the, the garden. Adam, Adam, where are you? Now, did God really lose Adam? He knew right where Adam was, didn't he? Why ask the question? He needed Adam to know where Adam was. And so he says, Adam, where are you? Adam says, We're hiding. (laughs) Dude, we walk through the garden every day. Why are you hiding from me? Because I'm naked. What? Who told you you're naked? It's Eve's fault. She ate the, she gave me the apple. There was a separation. Immediately upon sin entering the world, there was a separation. That separation was made even even more clear, more, more, more prominent, if you will. When God eventually said to Adam and Eve, You got to get out the garden and you don't get to come back. No more walking through the garden with God. That's why you and I don't get to see Him today, because sin causes separation. You see, sin is that serious that the Bible says if you sin, you die. If you sin, you don't get to be in the presence of a holy God. Spiritual death. You remember there's a veil in the temple? There's a veil in the temple that separates the rest of the temple from the special room called the Holy of Holies. Why is it called the Holy of Holies? Because that's where God lives. In the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. On the Ark of the Covenant, there are two cherubim, one on each end, right smack dab in the middle of those wings of those cherubim. It was believed that was where God resided, where He lived. That was inside the Holy of Holies. There's a veil that separated that place from all of the rest of the world, and nobody was allowed in there. Why? Because the veil reminds us we're separated from God. And that's how we live in this life. Sin is a serious thing. So much so that Jesus said, I will pay the ultimate price. I will experience separation from God. I will take your death So in turn, I can give you abundant life. Isn't that amazing? When we understand the the depth of the anguish that Jesus felt as He was separated from God the Father, we begin to understand the seriousness of our sin as Jesus receives the wages that are due His people. In 1 Peter chapter 2, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It's quoting Isaiah, by the way. We'll look at that in just a minute. But he he says he took our place. You and I earned the wages of death, but Jesus died so we could live. And when we understand what that means, we understand the seriousness of sin. But we also hear in this great, this this awful word, this painful statement from the cross, we begin to understand the justice of God. The tragedy of Calvary has to be understood by the actions of four different parties. First, there was man who displayed his depravity when he he tortured, when he mutilated, when he humiliated, when he executed Jesus, who by all fair analyses was completely innocent. It shows how messed up man really is that he would kill an innocent person. But it also shows us something about Satan. Satan showed his hatred for Jesus on Calvary. Man displayed his depravity. Satan showed his hatred of Jesus as he orchestrated all of this and played with the minds and hearts of people so that he could see Jesus suffer. The third party that took action that day was that Jesus died the innocent for the guilty. And fourth, God demonstrated His holy justice. Four parties all acting at once. Man displaying His depravity. Satan showing His hatred. Jesus dying innocent for the guilty. And God the Father demonstrating His justice. In that that, uh, vision, In which we are allowed to see God. Isaiah chapter 6, later in the Revelation. When we are allowed to see God, the heavenly beings are surrounding him and they are saying, Holy, holy, holy. Three times. In the ancient languages, when something is repeated three times, it's what you and I would do on Twitter by using all caps and two exclamation points, it adds emphasis. God is not just the holy God. He is holy, holy, holy. Completely, totally, absolutely holy. And because of that, He must remain separate from sin. So He turned His face. He turned His back on sin, thereby turning His back on His Son. Since Jesus had become sin, Jesus was forsaken. The psalmist felt something of that at one time, and he wrote of his experience, and without knowing it, he actually prophesied what Jesus would experience. In Psalm 22, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out. By day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Notice it's by day, by night. We are experiencing right now at Calvary between noon and 3 p.m. The, the, the time of day, the sun should be right up above. We are experiencing total darkness. It is midnight at midday cry out by day but you don't answer by night but I find no rest but look at that last statement you are enthroned as the holy one in that statement that Jesus quotes from the from, from the psalmist acting as prophet in that statement Jesus says my God my God why have you forsaken me and yet You are the Holy One. He answers his question to a degree. The reason God has forsaken the Son is because this is justice. You and I take sin too lightly. God never will. God will always require justice because He's holy. And in this case, sin must be be paid for. Atonement must be made. What happens on the cross that day shows us the justice of God. It also shows us the explanation of Gethsemane. When Jesus started his life on the earth, he suffered at the hands of man. When he started his earthly ministry, he suffered at the hands of Satan. And when he died, he suffered at the hands of God. That's why he wanted to avoid this, if at all possible. And so earlier, the night before, he goes into the garden and he says to his disciples, you guys hang out here. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He was in the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive press. It it, it described how the two stones come together and and push with great pressure on that olive until all of the oil is, is pushed out, every last drop. And it takes a tremendous amount of pressure. And the the, the Garden of Gethsemane is the place where Jesus felt the pressure more than ever before. It was tremendous stress and grief and agony. And so it says, going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Gethsemane was the footstool to Calvary. He went, he went through Gethsemane first before getting to the cross. When he said this statement, he when he praised this prayer, let the cup pass from me, he's not just speaking of excruciating pain, humiliation, or mockery. He's talking about the cup, the cup of God's wrath that is going to be poured out on him. It is the the punishment for sin. It was the awful separation that he knew was coming. When we see him on the cross and we hear him cry out, God, where are you? Why have you left me? It is then that we begin to understand what happened in the garden when he said, don't make me go through this. but we also hear in this statement the faith of Jesus. Jesus had nothing left but His faith. Notice as He he hangs in the darkness, He still called out, My God, My God. I was... I was reading on Facebook just yesterday a friend of mine. We were teenagers together at the same church. And he wrote about how his sister died. He saw some hypocrites at the church. This happened and that happened. And so he had just had enough and turned his back on God and walked away. Now, I'm glad that he has come back to God. God has shown him grace. But how many people live that way? Things don't go well. They don't go my way. Suffering in my life. And because of that, I'm just going to turn my back on God and walk away. God, if you won't do for me, then I won't do for you. Friends, I understand that that's a natural reaction, but it's not faith. Faith says, you are my God regardless of my circumstances. You are my God regardless of what I feel. You're my God regardless of what I see. There was no deliverance, no comfort, no hope, and yet he kept his faith in God. I'm reminded of the three Hebrew boys. They were said, you either bow down to this idol or we're going to put you in the flames. And they said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. And He will deliver us from Your Majesty's hand. Now that's a statement of faith. If we get thrown in the fire, our God is able. That's a statement of faith. Not only is He able, but we believe He will deliver. That's a statement of faith. But you know what? They have not yet made their greatest statement of faith. That happens in the next verse. Because in the next verse they say, but even if He does not, we want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Real faith, powerful faith, asks no miracles. It takes a strong faith to depend on a miracle. It takes even a stronger faith to say, if I don't get my miracle, you're still my God. And here Jesus hangs dying alone, separated, covered in darkness. And he says, you're my God. It's easy to trust when the sun is shining and the birds are singing and you're on top of the world. But what about when your world is dark and the sky is full of clouds and you're wandering through that dark valley? That's where you have faith. We also hear in this text, in this statement from the cross, the basis of salvation. And it's real simple. Because God is holy, he can't ignore sin. Because Jesus became sin, he received God's wrath. God's justice was served and sin was punished. His mercy was enacted as our sin, so our sin can be forgiven, although another paid the price for it. His love was proven in that he sent his own own son to be the substitute for us. Again, real quickly, it's just this simple. You messed up. You should die. Jesus loves you so much, he died so you didn't have to. That happened because God was merciful because God loves you. That's it. And we hear all of that take place As Jesus cries out why have you forsaken me Isaiah 53 he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed that last statement by his wounds we are healed don't take that out of context and say that's a promise that I'm going to be physically healed of all my illnesses This is talking about spiritual problems. Spiritually, Jesus died so you could live. Spiritually, his wounds heal your sin problem. It's the basis of salvation. Why have you forsaken me? Why did he say that? So you never have to. You never have to say, God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus already went through it for you. Now you and I get to hear God say to us, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The forsaking that was necessary has already taken place. Finally, and we're done, we hear in these words the love of Christ. Because He knows the reason He is enduring this is out of love for the Father and out of love for us. John 15 and 13, greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends. We hear that verse a lot. And we hear it applied to brave men and women, either in the military or first responders. And that's fine. It really is, because it's the principle that you're clinging to. But don't ever forget the true context. Jesus is talking about Himself In this verse and he's saying this proves I love you because I'm gonna lay down my life for you what happened that day in the darkness was Jesus proved his love Jesus knew that the hour in John 13 Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end my God my God why have you forsaken me? It is a declaration of love for all who will listen.